with executing these transports of COVID-19 patients safely, planning is key, not only for the safety of the patient, but also for the safety of our crew. Hello, I'm Rachel Deere, host of today's program, COVID-19, Keeping Up with the Moving Target. This is the August 7th update of DKB Med Radio's Coronavirus Educational Series. Thank you for joining us. We've recently switched platforms from YouTube to ON24 to provide our learners with a more interactive platform. For an optimal viewing experience, we recommend expanding your browser window while viewing this presentation. You can expand the media player, which the video plays from, or the slides window to suit your preferences. Please note, polling questions will appear in the slides window. Polling questions will appear shortly as well as at the end. Please click the box that corresponds to your answer choice and click the submit button. This activity is jointly provided by the Postgraduate Institute for Medicine, DKB Med, and the Institute for Johns Hopkins Nursing. Today's program is accredited for ANCC and AAPA credit, as well as AMA PRA Category 1 credits. Please visit our website for complete CE information. To attest for credit, please visit covid19.dkvmed.com. There you will also find all of our previous COVID-19 programs and have access to other free CE programs on a wide range of topics. The slides for today's webinar can be found in the resource list window and as a green icon in the bottom menu. Today's learning objectives are recognize and understand logistical issues during transport, recognize and understand issues relating to accessing supplies during transport, recognize and understand challenges providers face during transport. This activity is supported by an educational grant from Pfizer Incorporated and in-kind by DKB Med. All activity content and materials have been developed solely by the activity directors, planning committee members, and faculty presenters, and are free of influence from Pfizer. With us today, we have Precious Mac McDonald, a critical care transport nurse at Johns Hopkins Hospital Lifeline, who will be discussing transport during a pandemic. Mac, thanks for your time. Thank you, Rachel, for having me. Today, we're going to talk about the issues and challenges that COVID-19 brings to the transport environment. During this presentation, I'm going to focus more on the ground operations, and the ground operations focus on bringing patients with COVID-19 or who are under investigation for possibly having COVID-19 into the facility. And we will touch a little bit on in-house transports, moving patients around within the facility, but most of this is going to be focused on our ground operations. I would like to start out with a quote that I personally enjoy. With executing these transports of COVID-19 patients safely, planning is key, not only for the safety of the patient, but also for the safety of our crew. The first thing we will talk about is logistics. A lot of logistics and planning go into this transport. The first thing we consider is space. So on a usual transport, our team sizes consist of an EMT, a medic, and a nurse. COVID-19 throws some challenges towards us. 
we have to have a safety officer in addition to our three-person team. The safety officer is there simply for the safety of the crew. For instance, in our PPE, we have limited visibility, and we'll talk about that a little later in the presentation. So there might be a safety hazard that the crew in the room at the bedside cannot see. The safety officer is there to warn us, hey, your paper hose is about to get hooked onto a hook behind you and you might breach your PPE. So that team member is solely there to protect the crew and to prevent our risk of exposure to a patient um, with COVID-19 or PUI. In addition, we may need to take another medic with us. Unfortunately, some of these patients are very sick and it requires them to be transported in a prone position. We need that additional medic in the back of the ambulance in case the patient were to go into cardiac arrest or extubate during the transport in order to have an extra set of hands to flip the patient over so that we can intervene. And also, this is a rare case, but sometimes we do have to take a respiratory therapist along with us, depending on what pulmonary therapies that patient is needing. So we have to consider the logistics of where are we placing all of these people, how are they going to safely fit into the ambulance, and how do we safely transport the crew and the patient to the facility. Another thing that we do have to consider is the equipment that we must bring with us. We have our bags in which we have our PAPRs and our additional PPE. An option that we do have here at Lifeline is we have a Ford Explorer. Oftentimes, if additional space is needed, the safety officer will follow the ambulance and drive the Explorer so that we can place our additional equipment in there. They also carry a backpack that provides duct tape for us to tape our gloves or our gowns so that we are not exposed. And also they carry things such as wipes for us to touch elevator buttons as we go along so that we're not contaminating surfaces and hand sanitizer should we need that. In addition, we carry radios for these transports in order to maintain communications with our safety officer and with our dispatch team if necessary. Also, we may have to bring additional cleaning supplies if we need to do a decontamination at another site. Another aspect of logistics that we do have to consider is the oxygen consumption of the patient. Unfortunately, with some of these very sick COVID-19 patients, they are requiring very, very aggressive ventilator settings. So this may be increased FiO2, increased flow rates. So it's not like being in a hospital where you can just plug into a wall and have a practically unlimited supply of O2. We have to calculate what amount of oxygen this patient is gonna need and how long this transport is going to take so that we can safely transport them with sufficient oxygen. Another challenge I should say that we face is access. With these patients, we find that they require much higher dosages of sedation and narcotics if they're intubated. So we have to consider bringing these additional medications so that in the back of the ambulance, we're not having to open more meds and expose our valves and our med boxes to COVID-19. 
So we try to consider their bolus requirements, what IV push drugs they may need in order to get them synchronous with the vent and also so the, that the patient may have a comfortable and uneventful transport. Unfortunately, as we always know, sometimes no matter how well we plan, we do run into situations where we have to breach our supplies and our medications in the back of the ambulance during the transport. So another thing we have to consider in the back of the ambulance is accessing those supplies. Even no matter how much we plan, sometimes we do have emergencies in the back of the ambulance. So if we have to access any of the supplies and pop any of the cabinets, reach any of the plastic coverings, that takes additional decontamination time. So there's additional cleaning time that the crew must do after they have safely arrived and completed the transport. And this has a trickle down effect into the team being available. So the team gets delayed because of that additional decontamination time. So it kind of holds the team up for their availability to receive the next call. In addition, it is quite cumbersome in the back of the ambulance in full PPE if you have an emergency to have to access your supplies. On a normal day without all the additional PPE needed for COVID transport, it's difficult sometimes to get to our supplies and access our bags in the middle of an emergency situation when everyone is moving quickly. So we have the additional step of breaching that plastic and removing our supply bag. And the crew has to maintain awareness what could possibly go wrong so that we can prevent having to pop our seals and access our cabinets and breach our bags. But of course, in an emergency situation, if it is needed, we do reach our bags and do what we need to do to save the patient. So now I would like to talk about the crew, what issues the crew faces, what challenges the healthcare providers face, and how they plan and how they prepare. First, I'll talk about PPE. At the end of the day, the only thing I can say is that PPE is hot. Our safety officers, in order to keep us safe, will mark the time on our gowns of what time we went into the PPE right before we entered the patient's room. That helps to provide a safety net for us because if we're starting to get fatigued, our body temperatures are starting to go up, the safety officer who is monitoring us is able to see, oh, this person doesn't look so well. Maybe they need to be pulled out of the room. Maybe someone else needs to go in to replace them for the safety of the provider. If I can explain to you a little bit more about the PPE that we wear, especially um, on a ground transport, we're wearing a surgical gown, we're wearing double gloves with duct tape, sometimes a third layer of gloves on top of that. We also have our pappers with our papper belts and our full hood and shroud. So as you can imagine, with increased movement, moving around at the bedside, trying to stabilize the patient, your body temperature does go up. You start to sweat a lot. You can become dehydrated pretty easily and fatigued. So we try to keep an eye on it and our safety officers are very good at monitoring us so that we can be providing the best care for the patient. 
Another thing that we as providers have to consider is our clinical decision making. These COVID-19 transports prevent another obstacle to us in our limited visibility. In our PPE, we lose our peripheral vision. So I can't just look to my left or look to my right and see something out of the corner of my eye. It's like looking through a window because I have that window in my paperhood. Also, we have to deal with increased noise levels that limit our hearing. We have the papper motor going, the fan blowing into our hood, and also you're listening to radio communications from your safety officer warning you of possible safety hazards that you cannot see while also trying to communicate with the other provider there at the bedside as you care for the patient and prep the patient for transport. As clinicians, we have to make sure that we are maintaining our awareness, even with our limited visibility, even with the increased noise, to make sure that we are drowning out all of the other distractions and staying focused so that we can make good clinical decisions for the patient. So our next slide, moving on, I want to talk about the numbers and the data and how many of these transports that we have done. So this data is current as of July 15th of this year. And these are the number of transports that we have done since the beginning of this COVID transport operation. So Lifeline has done a total of 902 transports. So these are COVID-19 positive patients and PUI or persons under investigation for COVID-19. So our PUIs are not confirmed COVID-19 positive, but they have symptoms that are very suspicious of COVID or imaging results that are, and either they have not yet been tested for COVID or they have had a COVID test that has come back negative, but there's high suspicion that it may have been a false negative. So in-house, and this is the transport of patients within the facility, whether it's from their room to CT, from the ER to CT, then to the room they're being admitted to, we've done a total of 571 transports. 315 of those have been confirmed COVID-19 positive. So that's about 55.1% of our in-house transports. On the ground side, we've done a total of 331 transports. 258 of those transports have been confirmed COVID positive. So that gives us about 77.9% of our ground transports being COVID positive versus a PUI. So I would just like you all to think out of all of those 331 transports that we've done on ground, all of this planning, all of these logistical issues, all of these access issues, and all of the challenges that the providers face must be planned for for every single call so that we can transport the patient safely so that the crew remains safe. And also we're trying to do all of these things in a timely fashion so that we can get the patient back as quickly as possible to the higher level of care that they need. So now we have a few questions and I will move on to our first question here. How have healthcare providers adapted to the ever-changing environment that COVID-19 presents? That is a great question. In all honesty, it has been difficult, but 
key things are staying on top of protocols, staying on top of our policies and procedures. And this is not something that we have to do daily. This is something that we do multiple times a day. Things can change hourly with this pandemic. There's always new research coming out and we are always trying to do the best job for our patients and for ourselves. So making sure that we know the newest updates to our protocols, that we are communicating with each other, that if new information is coming out, that it's being disseminated properly. And also healthcare providers have to adapt and be more aware of their team members. This is a stressful time for the entire country and for the entire world. And it presents a special challenge to us because not only do healthcare providers have to worry, you know, about their patients and the care that they're providing, but also about themselves. So it is very easy during these times to become fatigued, to hit burnout and to hit high levels of stress. So as providers, we do have to look out for each other and monitor those signs and be proactive in letting our team members know like, hey, I think you are getting fatigued. Maybe you need to step away now. I will go on to our next question, which is what resources are available for the transport team when additional supplies and or personnel are needed for the transport of a COVID or PUI patient? As I mentioned earlier, Lifeline specifically does have the Explorer that we are able to put additional equipment in. And oftentimes, if the safety officer is not able to travel with us because they do not travel in the back of the ambulance with the team, and if there's no room in the front of the ambulance for them to travel with the driver, oftentimes they will just take the Explorer and follow behind us. And so that provides an additional way for us to store extra equipment and for us to be able to transport it. Another option that we at Lifeline have is our dispatch team. They are great. They're an amazing team of professionals that are able to connect us to resources. For instance, if we need that additional respiratory therapist, they know who to contact to get them down to us and to get them to us quickly. They are very good at connecting with other people should we need additional equipment. And also, if we don't know the answer to something and our team is trying to figure it out, they are very good at putting us in contact with the right people, even if we're on scene and have already left the facility. So those are two of the big resources that we have. I will move on to the next question. Considering the increasing temperatures, how have healthcare providers adapted to the challenges this presents to the transport environment? So a great question. With these hot temperatures in July, it has definitely thrown us for some challenges in the transport world because we're not stuck in a hospital, we're coming in and out. So one of the newest things we have are cooling vests. So they're worn under the scrubs. We can take them, they have a case that we transport the cooling vests and the cooling elements in that we can transport them to the scene and place them on once we get there. And the cooling vests help prevent your body temperature from going up and getting very high to try to mitigate the dehydration and the sweating and fatigue that comes with that. Another thing which we have started doing since 
these increasing temperatures is pre-cooling the ambulance while the crew preps. So the ENT will often go out, start the ambulance up, get the air conditioner running so that it is cool while the crew is deciding what meds we need, what oxygen we need, and what supplies we need. That way, once we enter the ambulance, we're already entering into a cool environment and we're not cooling down as we go to the scene. Another thing we have been doing, if it is feasible, which usually we're able to do, once we arrive to the scene, the EMT will stay in the ambulance and keep it running so that the air conditioner stays on so that that way, while we're at the bedside stabilizing the patient, optimizing them and packaging them for transport, once we get back to the ambulance, it is still cool. We're not placing the patient into a hot ambulance and we're not getting into a hot ambulance. And another thing is hydration. We hydrate pre-transport before the transport on the way to the scene to get the patient we're hydrating. And thankfully, our department provides us with ice and ice water and Gatorades to try to help stave off that extra sweating and fatigue that comes with us getting dehydrated. So that is the last of the questions. I hope that you all learned today and I hope that you're able to see a little bit more what goes into the transport of these COVID-19 and PUI patients and how they are getting to our facilities and how they are moved about. Mac, thank you so much for your time today. As a reminder to claim credit, please complete the evaluation at covid19.dkbmed.com and select today's activity. You'll receive your certificate immediately after. Any questions or issues, feel free to email us at the address listed. To submit questions, please send them to qa at dkbmed.com. Don't forget to access our resource center at covid19.dkbmed.com. You'll find a range of information, including the latest COVID-19 data and statistics, medical society guidelines, and resources in Spanish. Thank you for your dedication to your patients with COVID-19.